Last Sunday morning, we stopped in Exodus chapter 14 of Moses and the Hebrew people making their way through the Red Sea. And so we have jumped several chapters, but my intent is to come back to Exodus and continue our study in Moses probably post-Easter. Now that we're moving towards the end of April, uh, excuse me, then we will be moving towards the end of April and May, but today is our last in the study of Moses. Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. And while the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face, as a man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. This week, of course, takes us towards Thanksgiving. And in the course of this week, we will be involved in all of the fun and the festivities of the Thanksgiving season. And most of us will find ourselves involved in a number of activities we don't normally do on a weekly basis. And as a nation, we will gather with family and friends. We will probably watch Macy's Parade on Thursday morning. We may indulge in a little watching of football later that day. On Friday, we may shop till we drop, and we will, in all probability, eat more food than a human is capable of eating. And that will be how we'll spend Thursday and Friday, and it will be a lot of fun. In terms of thinking of fun and festivities, let me read to you an article that appeared in a newspaper back on the 23rd of November, 2005. With all the sadness and the trauma going on in the world at the moment, it is worth reflecting on the death of a very important individual which almost went unnoticed last week. Larry Laprise, the man who wrote The Hokey Pokey, died peacefully at the grand age of 93. Laprise was not well known in his, during his own lifetime, but he did write one of the most easily recognizable songs of all time. The most traumatic part for his family, however, was not the actual passing of Larry as he lived a good and full life. The most traumatic part took place when they attempted to get him into the coffin. They put his left leg in and then his right leg in and then the trouble started. And I'm a little disappointed more of you weren't there ahead of me, but some of you were there. And that's, I'm giving this to you free gratis for dads and granddads who on Thursday, when you have grandchildren at the table, you'll have the wonderful opportunity of telling them of the last hours of Larry Laprise. 
Thanksgiving is fun, and it should be. But in the midst of all of the fun, we remind ourselves of the importance of Thanksgiving. We will, quite naturally, think back to the pilgrims and that first Thanksgiving. It became a little more formal after a proclamation by President Washington. This proclamation was issued on the 3rd of October, 1789. Whereas, it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and to humbly implore His protection and favor. Whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committees requested me to recommend to the people of these United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many favors of Almighty God. Isn't that a wonderful proclamation? It goes on for another eight or ten lines and it is exceedingly well done. And here is Washington reminding us as a nation to give thanks to Almighty God for his many blessings upon our lives. And bear that in mind on Thursday. Don't let it get caught up in the fun and festivities or marginalized in any way. It is a remarkable holiday and one we give thanks for. On Thanksgiving, we will also look back. And this morning, as we come to this last study in Moses, I wanted to look back and touch on a couple of memorable occasions in Moses' life that we just haven't had the time to do in our current study. And in Hebrews chapter 11, we find these words which helpfully sum up much of Moses' life. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as the greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Isn't that something? What a way on this, our final study, to summarize the spectacular life of Moses. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as the greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Now that's saying something. Because as you know, in our first study, way back in early October, in Exodus chapter 2, Moses' parents were very concerned for him. They prayed for him every minute of the day that God would protect him and look after him. And that's exactly what happened. And in fact, as parents, they were able to raise him till he was around eight or nine years old. And then he moved in to Pharaoh's palace. And he became Pharaoh's adopted son. And as he grew and developed, Moses was surrounded by the best education he could get in his day. He was surrounded by unimaginable opulence and affluence. 
of one privilege after another after another. He was groomed and tutored and prepared and poised to be a prince of Egypt, perhaps even a pharaoh someday. And then Hebrews, in looking back, summarizing his life, says this of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I imagine Moses was probably 19 or somewhere between 19 and 22, 23 years old at this stage. And God had been working in his life, stirring Moses deep down, drawing him into an ever-increasing relationship with himself and drawing him into a relationship of deep abiding intimacy. And Moses, as a young man, had decisions to make as many of us had in those early adult years, as many of your children or grandchildren, as we move into 2020, they may have similar decisions to make. Some will go to college for the first time. Where will they go? What will they study? Others will be graduating. What will they do for a living? Where will they live? What will they do in the years ahead? Those are decisive moments. And when you stand at that crossroads and there's a fork in the road, there is often a road that is broad and bright and appealing. And sometimes there's a road that's a little wandering and it dips out of sight and then you see a steep hill on the other side and it's not so appealing. And you have a decision to make. And in the providence of God, as you stand at that crossroads, the decision you make will help shape and fashion your life for the next several years. And that was Moses. God was preparing him for unimaginable challenges on that narrow road. He was preparing him to be a leader that history would never forget to be creative and innovative and lead over a million people, bring them to emancipation from slavery in Egypt into a promised land. And we have marveled at God's call upon the life of Moses and how it's impacted and changed him. And for Moses, here was systemic change creeping into his life, and God was at the very core of it all. And he was being shaped and defined by God's purposes. And Moses stepped back from all that Egypt had to offer. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Think of that. Think of that. 
And then as Hebrews carries on, it gives us another snapshot of Moses. And this is what it tells us. It tells us by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered, he endured, because he saw him who is invisible. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? I can't help smile each time I read that. He endured, he kept going, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Not only invisible, but infinite. Not only infinite, but holy. Not only holy, but merciful and gracious and filled with truth and righteousness. God transcendent in majesty, yet imminent and knowable through his grace. That's what's going on. He saw him who is invisible. That's why he persevered. And Moses learned as a young man what subsequent generations would come to learn. And we are still learning that growth and maturity in the Christian faith is almost never a function of circumstance, but of intentional, prayerful choice, commitment, and dedication. That's what was going on in the life of Moses. And by faith he left Egypt. All of the opulence and affluence and wealth. All of the power and significance. All of his education and background. Because God was at work in his life. And God in fact used all of his background and training and development for his own purposes. And Moses knew nothing about life, the other side of the Nile. All he'd ever known was Egypt, its education, its music, social engagement, its customs, its traditions. That's all he'd ever known. He woke up in the morning and it dominated his life. He went to sleep at night. It was the last thing he thought of. And then, then God was drawing him into a relationship of grace. And Moses began to experience for himself the unconstrained, uninhibited, undiluted grace and love of God, and it overwhelmed him, and he could not be the same person again. Here was God at work, and please hear this. When you have moved to that level in your relationship with him, the Bobbles and trinkets of Egypt count for nothing, nothing, because you will never be satisfied again. That's what was going on in the life of Moses. Deep, lasting contentment, for God was at work. And when he woke up in the morning, God was the first person he thought of. As he drifted to sleep at night, his closing thoughts were prayerful. That's what was going on in the life of Moses. 
when we started this series together. And that first Sunday, I asked you to imagine a hundred years from now, a relative of yours is visiting. Her grandmother, imagine she's a 23-year-old young lady. She's about to graduate from college. She's a history major, and she wants to know about her own family background and her genealogy and her family tree, and she begins to ask questions, and she begins to research, and she begins to put together a picture. And as she's telling this to her grandmother, her grandmother says, now, I think there's an old box up in the attic. Have you, have you come across that? And her eyes become bright. She becomes animated. And she says, no, is it still there? And her grandmother says, yes, let's go and see. And off she goes up into the attic. She comes down about 15 minutes later with this old box covered in dust, brings it in, opens it up in the kitchen tables and starts laying out old letters, love letters. Not love texts, but love letters and driving license, and a birth certificate, and the corner torn off a baptismal certificate. And right in the bottom, it looks like a diary, and she lifts it out and blows the dust off it and opens it up. And it's not a diary. It's not even a calendar. It's a prayer journal. And as she begins to understand what it is, she becomes silent. And she sits down at the table and she begins to open its pages. And she begins to get to know you. And she reads of your hopes and your dreams and your longings and your desires. She reads of the moments where you stood there at the crossroads uncertain which way to go. And she reads your prayers and passages of Scripture that have impacted you and meant something to you. And she comes across Exodus 33:11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And in her mind, she begins to think, that's what prayer is like. It's like going out for a meal with a really close friend. Someone you don't see for five or six months and then as soon as you agree to have a meal together, you go to the restaurant and you ask for a quiet table or a booth somewhere at the back and you sit down and you start that casual conversation of how are things going and how is your family and what's happening at work and who's coming for Thanksgiving and all of that. And you're just chit-chatting, chit-chatting. Neither of you pause to stop and listen to the other person. You're just chit-chatting, eager to get it all out. And although you haven't seen each other for five or six months, you pick up immediately from where you last left off. And the waiter comes over and takes your drink orders, gives you a menu, of course, tells you what the specials are, and you can't wait for him to finish the special so he can get away and you can continue your conversation. And he comes back in five minutes with your drink and says, are you ready to order? I'm sorry, give us a minute. We've just been so busy catching up. We haven't seen each other for the last five or six months. And so the waiter steps back and you're chatting 
away and he comes back and says, are you ready? Oh, I'm sorry, let me have a quick look. You go ahead and order and I'll have a quick look. And eventually you order your meal. And the casual conversation, the social courtesies and niceties soon drift away and the conversation goes to another level. But as you indulge in the main course, it goes further again and again. And the waiter comes over and says, is everything good? Yes, it is, except the broccoli came cold. Could you, could you heat that up for me, please? He goes off, he brings the broccoli back, and it's warm this time, and the conversation goes deeper again. And you find yourself unburdening your heart. You find yourself describing your deepest longings, your heart's passion, the things that stir you, the things you've been praying over. Then as the conversation and the dessert finishes, you go back to the social niceties and the waiter comes and you've been so impressed with his attentiveness and his pleasant manner. You leave him a big tip and off he goes and you put on your jacket, you walk back to the car and you get back to those social niceties again. And often we think of prayer just like that. But may I suggest this? That sometimes, if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, if we're not focused, the person across the table is not God, but self. And we've been reflecting on our own wants and our own desires, our own hopes, our own dreams. And we've treated Almighty God like the waiter grateful for his service, thankful that he's attentive, he's very polite, he'll never push in in the conversation without being invited. And all we have done is think and reflect on ourselves. But when Scripture writes the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend, it is so, so much deeper than reflecting to self. Because real, genuine, passionate prayer often includes, Father, I have no idea what you're doing in my life at the moment, but I need your help. Father, help me to grow in my faith. Grant me the strength and the enabling grace to face all that it is coming my way. And incidentally, I'm ashamed of this. There's a sin in my life I cannot get over, and I know it comes between us. Take it from me strengthen me, equip me, help me to stand firm, give me the dedication I need. Father, deal with me, whatever the cost. Now that's a prayer. That's when God is beginning to speak to us face to face. That's when he's transforming us. And other times he'll get alongside us and wrap us in his arms of love and grace and say, I've got you. I hear you crying. I know the sadness. I know the grief, but I've got you. You can trust me. 
that's prayer. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Wouldn't that be something worth giving thanks for this Thursday? If you go to Egypt today, you will see towering pyramids. 478 feet, the pyramids at Giza. Just outside Cairo, you're driving down the freeway, and there they are, five minutes from your hotel, right there, over a million blocks of stone, each one of them more than a ton. Imposing pyramids, a towering sphinx. You stand beside it, you're dwarfed. You wonder how on earth they did this with little more than hand tools. There's impressive monuments everywhere. Tutankhamun, Ramesses, Thutmose, they're there. And none to Moses. He doesn't even get a mention. Not once. But the greatest monument of all is to grasp the enormity and understand the privilege that is ours as he speaks to us face to face as one would speak to a friend. That's something to put in a prayer journal. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this incredible passage of Scripture this morning. And in this Thanksgiving week, we ask, O oh God, that you will come alongside each one of us. And may we with great joy and celebration give thanks to you, to you, the Holy One, for giving us every blessing in Christ. Father, enable us, please, for those of us who are struggling this morning to feel and sense your hand upon us, lead us, guide us, direct us, draw us closer to yourself, that we might feel and sense your presence once again. In Jesus' name we pray.